Good morning. My name is Stephen Wright, the lead pastor at Living Waters Church. Thank you, Amber, for where she at. She's back there on the sound already serving for sharing your heart and David sharing your heart. And uh, that's just an encouragement to us uh, to that you would share like that. And and they are uh, living out their words. They as soon as they um, you know got to know some of the life groups that were happening, they pursued a life group uh, in Frankfurt that was meeting in the middle of the day because everybody was retired and could do that. And they're like, how can we be a part of your group if you're meeting in, because we both work. So the group actually changed their time till late afternoon and they, Amber and David buzz right uh, from work and go right there to be a part of uh, the Southern Life Group in Frankfurt. So they really are living that out and, and enjoying uh, the the impartation of the legacy generation into their lives. So that's really neat. Let's give the Skaggs a big hand. I thought last Sunday's uh, testimonies on video were tremendous as well. Uh, Corey, thanks for sharing your heart uh, on video there. And, of course, your daughter, Sarah, your brother, Todd, looking forward to getting to know you better and better. Let's give the Bevers a big hand if we could. All right. And uh, also last week, there, uh, 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 Brandon Watkins was singing on stage. His wife, Kayla, is in the back office working the, uh, the, the media uh, portion, online portion right now. So they're back there. But we say Watkins, looking forward to getting to know you guys better as well. All right. And some more testimonies next Sunday, too. So looking forward to that. The title of this first part of this Christmas message is um, The First Sacrifice. And uh, I'm going to connect somewhat today's message and next Sunday's Lord willing. And, uh, and then the Christmas Eve service will be a unique, uh, you know, message of its own, candle lighting. Uh, and the children always love that. We do too. Uh, that'll be an enjoyable time together. I want to uh, give you some, um, yes, if the, if the children's need to, River Kids need to be dismissed, some going out this way and that way, great. Let's give the children a big hand. And, oh, there's, there's Brandon over there. I was like looking all over. Yeah, Brandon. Brandon, wave at us. So we, yeah, there he is. Got, yeah, Santa Claus over there with his red, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, so I want to start off uh, with this the uniqueness of uh, the Christmas story. It's, it's a mystery, right? How in the world uh, did God ever leave heaven and come to earth? It's such a mystery. It's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's beyond description. And, um, and I've got some things that are uh, unusual in our family, and that is uh, we had twins. And if you uh, look at uh, how uh, twins come into being, it's, it's pretty mystical. And so I'm gonna, you're going to really uh, like this. I'm going to give you some twin trivia today, okay? And you're going to be smarter after you leave today, and I know you're going to be so grateful for that. Uh, but we have um, identical twin uh, sons. They're 28 years old, and there's a difference between fraternal twins and identical twins. And um, I'll just jump in there and kind of let you know uh, what that is. So the um, fraternal twins, 
They are, uh, you see them, it can be a boy or girl, two boys, two girls, doesn't really matter there. And uh, there's two eggs, separate eggs that are fertilized in the womb. So there's two different babies in the womb the whole time. And so it's, they're similar to, together like brother and sister of any age in the family. Of course, they're the same age, but they're, they're brother and sister or brother and brother, just like another sibling. Uh, identical twins are different uh, because uh, the fertilized egg is one egg, and then over a period of time, it splits and becomes two people. That's very different for fraternal twins. And uh, there is no explanation how and why that happens. In fact, even the doctors will say, uh, this is just, you know, it's an act of God. We can't, we can't explain it medically. It just happens. Uh, fraternal twins, something that's unique about them or different, is that is it's genetic and the risk is higher to have twins uh, in that generation, every other generation through the mother, okay? So through the mother line, and uh, it often skips over a generation, and then that generation through the mom will uh, might have uh, fraternal twins. But identical twins have no genetic connection pattern. Again, it's just, you know, random or God's plan and God's will. So there's some interesting uh, uh, facts there about uh, twins. I know for us, we had, um, uh, you know, a, a Delisa was uh, hoping in, in, in the first pregnancy that she would have a girl. And uh, we were living in Anderson County. Doctor was in, at Frankfurt Hospital. I went to the false first ultrasound, and uh, uh, they turn on the machine and start looking around. The technician says, uh-oh. Well, when you hear uh-oh, that kind of like a little frightening to you as a parent, right? And, uh, and, 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 and she said, well, what do you mean uh-oh? And the technician say, said, I think I see two heads. And I just started laughing because I knew, you know, she just wanted one little precious girl. And here we got two heads already in this, in this uh, uh, ultrasound. I just started laughing. And Delisa, for the next, you know, 20 minutes, just kept saying, you got to be kidding me. 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 So the shock wore off after a little while. We were driving uh, we went ahead and drove here to church. I was the uh, uh, youth pastor, church education director. Joel and Carol League, her parents, were here at the office, and we brought the VHS tape with us from the ultrasound. And we pulled a TV VHS player out of the hallway here, plugged it in the wall, and we just turned it on. We didn't say anything. We just said, here, just see the ultrasound. And so... Uh, as, you know, ultrasounds go, it's all black and white and fuzzy, and you really can't tell what's in there. Somebody's got to tell you what you're looking at, right? And so we didn't say anything, and there are these two circles in the, in the, in the view. We didn't, we didn't say anything. And, but the technician starts typing on the screen, you know, to, to label things. And, and the first type was baby A. And Joe was like, baby A, that's funny. <laughs> what is there, another one in there or something? <laughs> And sure enough, a moment later, technicians start typing on the other side, on this other circle, baby B. <laughs> and we're like, ah, what? Are you serious? So, you know, that's how this, this mystical uh, and very unique uh, life began for us, uh, is in having identical twins. And when they came, they were very similar uh, there in the hospital. 
Uh, Paul uh, came out first. He was sitting in the the birth canal about two and a half hours, so his head was like squished, one of those cone heads, you know. And uh, and and Daniel just came out six minutes later, head nice and smooth and round, no problem there. So we could kind of tell a difference. Sorry, one's got a cone head, one doesn't. Everything else looks the same, and we're like, you know. But what if the cone head kind of, you know, gets round and smashes normal? We maybe we'll get them mixed up. So. So we put blue toenail polish on Paul's toe to, to, to help us, remind, you know, and, and we kept that on for a few weeks just in case, but, you know, his cone head never really went away. I mean, he, he says stayed a higher forehead, uh, you know, in his, as a, as a young one. So, uh, and that was, helped us keep, well, actually, when you got to know them, they were very different, and, uh, and you really didn't need that anymore. So, <clears throat> I want to go into this mystical story of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. And let's go to Luke chapter 1. And this is the passage where the angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, uh, leaves heaven with the message to this young Jewish girl. And it was normal in the uh, those ancient uh, Israel days that uh, the girls who would be getting engaged and married would be around 14 or so, give or take a year or so. And so she was around uh, that age, and um, she was already engaged to be married with Joseph. Uh, and back then, when you were engaged, you didn't make covenant, um, and but you weren't living together, weren't sleeping together. And Joseph uh, were probably older as the men needed more time to develop their careers to be able to provide for their families, and uh, and so they were usually older. So he could have been late teens, twenties, maybe even thirty, and um, uh, but they were in covenant with each other, but not living or sleeping together. And uh, so, starting at verse twenty-six, we get this um, amazing story. Let's pray, Father God. Thank you for the this amazing story, and we thank you that your word. Uh, transforms our lives. And so we ask that you speak to us by your Spirit and that our hearts would leave today with something to be transformed and become more like you. Verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, Favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Let's stop there for a moment. We'll read some more in a second. So Jewish girls, it was kind of culturally known that they would often uh, pray, Lord God, could I be the mother of the coming Savior, the coming Messiah? And so this news for her was, you know, shocking, like, no way, I actually won the lottery. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah, the sent one. 
and, and, and how it's unbelievable for her to be able to grasp that. Of course, now it's an angel speaking to her, an archangel. And so you can see why, uh, verse 30, it's, the angel said, do not be afraid. And that's what, that's a common thing angels have to say when they come and have a message for a human being. We read this in scripture consistently. They say this, uh, do not be afraid, do not fear. And because they are looking at a supernatural power, they're looking at an angelic force beyond and higher above humans in, the, you know, Mary knows, oh, if he wanted to kill me, he could, just like that. Uh, if he wanted to judge me, if he wanted to, whatever his will that I, and so do not be afraid is a common, uh, and, and I believe that peace would come out of that angel and give grace to the hearer so then they can receive the word from the Lord. And so God had found favor with her, And so somehow she had lived a life and kept her heart pure and sensitive in in her years that God saw that and the choice that she had made as a young woman that God had favor on her and chose her. This is amazing, and it to be uh, chosen as the, the mother of the Son of God, and yet it wasn't an easy life, was it? And there were some hard times in the suffering that she even went through being pregnant uh, there during those next number of months, but uh, the suffering that she watched her son go through, but the joys of his resurrection and his kingdom, amazing. So we have reason to honor Mary, to be inspired by her, but we don't believe as from the Bible to pray to her or to worship her that we don't see those instructions from the Word of God. Let's go on in this passage, uh, going down uh, to um, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, uh, and his kingdom will have no end. So right there we find that... Jesus is described as this Savior, this Son of God, the King, who will have a kingdom forever. And and so the angel is specifically identifying this baby as that. Verse 34, and then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Well, so she asked a practical question. Uh, I'm sure you can tell or you know somehow that I'm a virgin, so how can this practically be? And it is simple as this. There is not any details. It's just, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, this child will be a holy child. This child will be called the Son of God. And this supernatural conception is by the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. It is something that never happened before this time, never happened since, and never happened again. 
It is so mystical to be able to describe this is, is in words is difficult, and you just kind of leave it to God as a mystery and, uh, and trust God with that. But it also lets us know that this, this boy Jesus, in his, his, who, who he becomes, is an incredible combination of fully man and fully God. Let's go on to the next couple of verses. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think it's just interesting that this angel, though so powerful, waited for her to give the last response. And her response was this honorable response. I am, look at me, I am, behold, I am your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And that statement of full submission and willing obedience was enough. Gabriel didn't need to say anymore. It's complete. She has responded to the word of the Lord with obedience, and the angel leaves. This is interesting that this, this is mentioned about Elizabeth. Mary is about to go on a, a very alone road, uh, having to visit this angel, going to be carrying the mother, uh, being the mother of Jesus in this pregnancy. But Elizabeth was past childbearing years, never could have her baby. And so there's a miracle happened there. It wasn't a, a, a Holy Spirit conception. It was uh, a husband and wife conception, but still it, God blessed them and gave them a miracle child. And they were both able to partner together and support and encourage one another during those months of pregnancy. So, I want to just give a, a definition here of incarnation. It's really the mystery of the incarnation. And the word incarnation is a long term. It just refers to this, that God's Son, who was spirit, left heaven and took on a human body and a human life. And to make it even more simple, the incarnation is Christmas. We are celebrating and remembering uh, this, this amazing work of Christ, this first work of God in, toward our salvation, and that is the incarnation, or simply Christmas. It is worth celebrating. It is worth uh, having a day off from work, having celebrations, and going into the Scriptures about the actual reason for the season, and that is Jesus. Let's go into a few more unique mysteries about twins, uh, identical twins. Uh, I know you were wondering. You wanted some more trivia, so I'm going to give you some more. So identical twins have the same DNA because they were, they were the one and the same fertilized egg and then split. So they have the same DNA. 25% of uh, or so of identical twins are what they call mirror twins. And Paula Daniel are mirror twins. And there's a difference 
uh, slight difference with identical twins, and then just mirror twins are a type of identical twins. And what they believe is that, and, and again, it's a mystery. They don't, it's a theory. They don't have this nailed down with science or, or, or medicine. But the theory goes something like this, that, um, uh, that it, it's about seven days or so when most uh, identical twins split into their own uh, fertilized egg. And beyond seven days, maybe seven to ten days or so, again, they're just kind of guessing. They're, they don't really have a lot of evidence. They're thinking that's when mirror twins happen. And what, hap- what they're saying is there's some things that, that happen uh, and start forming like birthmarks or things like that, and so they both have the same maybe birthmark or a different thing. I'll tell you what, what Paul and Daniel have. Uh, they have... Uh, they have a, a crown on the back of their head, so, you know, it kind of sticks up a little bit, you know, and they part their hair, right? Where their crowns are on opposite sides of each other. One's on the right and one's on the left. And if they, if you look at a mirror, it would be the mirror side of the, of, of the crown there. Um, they have something on one hand each. Uh, and we didn't even notice this until a number of years. You know, they were still little, but it took us a while to even see this. But as you have, you know, in your fingers, and, and you have a couple creases at the joint, right, uh, and where your fingers been. Well, they have on their pinky finger, uh, one of them, uh, an extra crease. You want to, and you have this extra one right in the middle of the, lo- of the lower part of the finger. And happened even when we discovered this and looked at one has it on the left hand and one has it on the right, and it like a mirror. And so, in, in, in there, the other little things that we'd see, watch them, and they would kind of be opposite in the way they might sleep occasionally, things like that. There's things that just happen like a mirror. So, there's some more trivia for you, huh? Um, I know they, they, their personalities are different, and, and you, if you knew them, you could tell them apart very quickly and easily. Um, uh, you know, uh, they both like sports, but one stayed with uh, soccer and wrestling in the middle school and some in high school, but the other went into track and cross country instead. And they both like music, but, you know, one plays drums and the other one plays bass. They both like to have fun, but one is much more sarcastic than any of the rest of us. And, you know, so there, there's these things and they're very different. And, and uh, but I tell you, uh, we hadn't seen Paul for about a year and a half because he lived in Australia for seven years, and there was a stint in there with, you know, just different things and the schedules and all, and we didn't see him for a year and a half. And um, so uh, he's going to be flying in for the holidays, and Paul, I mean, excuse me, Daniel now is, is has this serious girlfriend he's looking at getting engaged soon named Parmela. And so we wanted to watch to see uh, Parmela's reaction when she sees the identical twin of her boyfriend, you know. And so in the front yard, you know, Paul gets out of the car, Daniel, and, and they come to each other, and they look at each other, they hug each other. It's been a long time. And Parmela was like, <laughs> I mean, her, her jaw dropped because Daniel said, oh, we're not really, really that alike. I mean, we're just, you know, we're not that identical. And, you know, she was like some of the mannerisms, how they look. And she was like, ah, what is this? So, so that was kind of freaky for her. But anyway, it's an adventure to have, to have twins. I highly recommend it. So, you know. <laughs> so we 
are living and celebrating a, a, a very intense mystery that really cannot be placed or explained in language. We do the best we can. In the first chapter of John, I encourage you to go there. John is the gospel, uh, one of the gospels that doesn't spell out the Christmas story for you. You get that in Matthew, you get that in Luke. And John just gives us the big picture. And so he sums up things in just uh, one particular verse that we'll get to in a minute. But let's start with John chapter 1, verse 1, to understand more about this mystery of, uh, of, of Christmas. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me stop there. Oh, yeah, that's fine. And <clears throat> what we have there is the pre-incarnate existence of Christ being before the incarnation. He's there in heaven, and he's not called Jesus, right? Because he hadn't been born in the earth and given that name, but from his mom and dad. Of course, the angel, you know, told them to do that, but he, he hadn't been named yet. So he's called the Word. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Rick Wren is a, a great resource for Greek. He's just so good at explaining and bringing it down and, and giving us images of what Greek words uh, can, can go to. And he said, hey, when it says the Word was with God, it, it gives the image of a face-to-face relationship with God, that the Father God and the Son Jesus Christ was face-to-face in heaven. They were so close, they were in relationship, and it says, and the Word was God, to let us know uh, that Jesus Christ is one of the three of the Trinity. Verse 2, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, that's verse 3, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so John want to let us know that, that this Word who we will know soon as, as Jesus, uh, he was the creator. That creation came through him. It was, uh, that it was an, apart from him, nothing came into being. And so he is God. He is creator. Verse 4, in him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so what we find here is this exaltation of who this baby Jesus is. It goes on in uh, the verses, next verses, about light and darkness. is very powerful, but I want to jump to verse 14. And the Word became flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, Father full of grace and truth. One year I was asked uh, in our family of uncles and cousins in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, as the kind of only pastor in the family to read the uh, uh, scripture before we uh, sing happy birthday to Jesus and all the nieces and nephews are there. And this is, I thought, you know, I could pick Luke uh, or Matthew, I could, but I could just do this one right here and summarize it all, that the word who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And this word dwelt, when you look at the Greek, has the uh, image of a tent or tabernacle. That this dwelling of God on earth was a 33 temporary tent that he hung out in 
in this eternal existence that he always was. He was in the beginning and always was and always will be. But for 33 years, he clothed himself in this physical body, this tent, and he tabernacled. He, he, he gathered. He came among us for 33 years. And he gave us a picture of the Father. We could actually see the Father in him. And that the Father and Him are full of grace and truth. Not just a good balance of grace and truth where you compromise when you need to to make everybody happy and make it work and fit. No, He was full of grace and full of truth. And so His righteousness and holiness of, yes, there is sin and evil and there is, uh, there is right and wrong had no compromise with grace, this full love and acceptance of who we are and to, to receive us, come to us by, uh, uh, and be us be washed by his blood. His fullness was of grace and truth, and they did not take away from each other but complement each other. So we see this, this existence of eternity of Jesus in heaven with God. I want to just take your memory, and I'm going to describe it. I'm not going to read the whole passage of another description of heaven. Because Jesus Christ really had it good. And heaven was a great place to live, a great place to dwell. He had it really good. It was a nice gig. And Isaiah chapter 6 is an incredible description of the throne room. And Isaiah is... Uh, he's, he's going to be called as a prophet through this experience. He's going to be called to um, uh, speak for God. And in the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, there's this description of the throne. And around this throne, there are these specifically created angels called seraphim with six wings, and they all they do is honor and worship God day and night to give him glory and honor. And what they say uh, is, is uh, recorded there in Isaiah verse 3. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they sing this day and night. They just give him honor. What would it be like to have people praising you all day and night? It'd be pretty good, huh? You are the all-powerful, the highest authority. Everything else serves you and was created by you. And they all give you glory and credit. And there was so much power in the room that when these words came forth, the, the, the place shook and the place was vibrating like an earthquake. And the power was so great that there was smoke also coming out. You think smoke was just good for uh, concerts. No, there's some in the throne room. But this smoke resembles worship uh, of the saints. It resembles the holiness of God. This experience took Isaiah, a a good man, a, a man that loved God, but it took him to a place of conviction and fear like nothing he's ever experienced. And he said, woe is me, judgment to me. 
He said, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man of, of what, I, what I say and what I do. And I'm among a people of unclean lips. He's basically saying, have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy on me. He's seeing, he's experienced the holiness and power and perfection of God. And he said, oh, I'm going to be judged. I could be wiped out. I'm just here. I exist in this moment by the mercy of God. Oh, have mercy on me. And an angel comes and takes a coal off the altar, this and, and uh, it didn't burn him, but he put it on his lips. And he said, now you're forgiven. You're cleansed. And he could then stand there in the presence of God and not be obliterated. Not be wiped out because he was a sinful man because he received forgiveness and atonement in that moment. That is what the throne room is like. It is so perfect. It is so holy. It is so powerful that anything that is not right with God in its presence, it could destroy it. You remember Moses, this incredible man of God, this credible uh, leader, was getting so close in these hours and hours and days just with God on the mountain, and he asked him, can I see your face? Can I see your glory and see your face? I'm just so attracted to you. My heart is yearning for you. I want closer, be closer, closer. And he said that, and, and, and God said, I can't, I can't let you do that, Moses. You couldn't survive if you saw me face to face. But once you get in this cleft in this little protected area here of the rock, and you'll be protected by the, and you get there, and I'll pass by, and you can see my backside. And that will be little less power. It'll be less power, and it won't obliterates you because you need you need the blood of my son to come into my full presence and so that is what's happening that's where jesus christ lived that's where he was and instead this mystery this really first sacrifice he came to earth and became a man he left that you know, did the angels have a going away party for him? And, you know, hey, you're going to miss you, Jesus. Or, or uh, the word, I say, hey, word, we're going to miss you. Or was it like, what's going on? And they see this happening and they're saying, we've, in all of our existence, we've never seen this. What's going on? And, and it could be cool to, to have some kind of uh, 3D, 4D, 5D movie theater in heaven. And we can say, hey, show us when Jesus left heaven in some kind of portal thing, being mean down, Scotty, and all the special effects, and, and Jesus, you know, the word leaving, and, and just, it would just be mind-blowing, right? And it would be really fun to be able to watch all the cool stories uh, in heaven. So he lived in Mary's womb. He was cramped in that womb as he got closer to the nine months. I don't know if you're like me, but it is so much fun to see or feel a baby moving around in a woman's tummy. And I had two pregnant ladies in my house over Thanksgiving. Our two daughter-in-laws are both pregnant and uh, do one in February, one in March. And so, of course, I asked permission first. And I would say, if you feel the baby moving uh, while you're here, would you be so kind to let me come over and put my hand in and feel that? And they both gave me permission, and I had a time where I could do that. Um, uh, if you can imagine my my precious and, and dainty uh, little wife with twins inside of her, uh, they were... Um, uh, 
you know, about five pounds each when they were born. So she had 10 pounds of baby in her. And, um, and when they would start moving around and they're both kind of pushing on each other, I mean, it was like, oh, there's an alien going to pop out of there. Woo-hoo. I mean, it was kind of weird and freaky. And when they came, they were so da- they were so just fragile and small. And Delisa was the church pianist, so as soon as she could get back on the piano, she did. And so we'd she would be on the piano, I'd be working. I was on staff as youth pastor, church education director, and ladies in the church would volunteer to help hold the babies. And you know, one time I you know I was had the baby, and I someone already yeah, said, "Can I hold the baby?" And the, I said, "Sure." And I'm coming in the sanctuary, and 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 the lady asked me, "Can I?" Hold, you know, whichever one I had. And I said, well, no, someone already called it first. I'm sorry. <laughs> and she got mad at me, never asked me again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I should have I charged tickets is what I said. I should have just <laughs> built up the funds there. But uh, they were. They were just so cute and adorable. Anybody can remember how cute and adorable they were? Am I the only? Okay, it's just me, the father. All right. But Jesus went through babyhood. He left that glorious heaven, that perfect, uh, where all authority, glory, and majesty resided, and he went through babyhood. He had to get pushed out through the birth canal and started crying for the first time. He had to go through dirty diapers. And, and trying to get in a rhythm of napping and feeding and awake schedule. No, you're supposed to be asleep right now. Jesus, come on. You know, I'm wondering, you think, well, you know, if he's fully God and fully man, you know, how does that work? And he's just a baby. And you kind of think, well, did he come out and, and, uh, you go, hi, Mary. It's good to see you. As you know, I'm the Messiah and, uh, I'll be your savior too, and you're really under my authority, actually. But uh, so let's kind of play this game for a while, where I pretend to be a baby. You just, you know, take care of me. I don't really need you. I am God. Uh, but let's just do this until you know I turn thirty. I need to be on my own to minister. Okay, don't mess with me after thirty. All right, I got to do my thing. Now, he really did need Mary. He really did need uh, her breast milk and her care. He really did need to. Uh, help learn how to walk and help learn how to uh, to eat and to to grow. He went through childhood and wanted to get picked on the kickball team. Don't want to be last. I don't want to be last. He went through middle school. Can you believe it or not? And zits. I mean, you know, bummer. Jesus he had to go through that. He was the oldest of four brothers and several sisters. The scriptures don't say how many sisters. So he was the oldest, and, and you know, he had to take care of them because he was the responsible oldest child, right? So he had to live through that and go through that. Joseph, his earthly father who took care of him, is not in the story when he's 30. And so he knows the loss of a loved one, uh, as we assume, and with good reason, that, that Joseph had passed away. And so this was actually the first sacrifice. When we think about Christ sacrificing for us, we think correctly that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And he had to die on the cross for us in order for him to be a sacrifice, for him to be able to give us forgiveness of sins. And we think about the miracle 
of him, his resurrection, that our whole salvation rests on that resurrection. If he didn't resurrect, he would have been a mere man. He would have been a good teacher, and uh, as people like to call him. He had a lot of good teachings. No, he rose from the grave, defeated death, hell, and sin, and that's why we can call him Lord, and Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and he defeated death so that he can give us forgiveness and give us eternal life so we can defeat death and live eternally with him in heaven and escape the wrath of God of judgment. And so those, yes, we celebrate those at Easter weekend on Good Friday and, and, and uh, Easter Resurrection Sunday. But really, the incarnation is the first sacrifice. He left heaven. It's the first miracle before the resurrection happened that God would, would actually come and he would actually be transformed and have this union uh, with uh, both God and man. The passage I want to go over last before I close, and I, and I don't want to close right now, so worship team don't come up quite yet. But this passage in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, is Paul's uh, description of this first sacrifice and first miracle. And it, it perplexed me that Paul started this way in verse 3 and 4. Because though we're going to be talking about Jesus, a very vertical teaching, this is going to be very horizontal, what he says, how this applies to us. And he does this in the beginning of this passage in the end. Verse 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another's as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How practical, how real, how, okay, Lord, there's a lot there that I need to think about and evaluate in my life. In verse 5, Paul connects it now to Christ's humility, and he says this, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So how is it, here we have it, Paul's description of the incarnation. If you look in your different versions of the Bible, there are key words, two or three words that are used differently. It's just hard to nail down one word. It's so mystical. That he was in the form of God but did not regard that as equality that he he had to stay there instead he emptied himself of this uh, all powerful that if he had stepped in the human realm as he was he would obliterated us instead he emptied himself of that form in order to take on the form of a bond servant a servant and being made in the likeness to men so he took on the attitude of the servant that I'm here to do what I see the father guiding me and telling me what to do. I am a servant. We often call him the suffering servant because he came uh, to uh, serve his father and his sacrifice on the cross served us. He, t- he taught his disciples before he was betrayed, washed their feet and said, serve one another. And so he took on, though he was uh, the one with 
uh, angels flying around him, giving an honor. There was tremblings of power at every uh, exaltation of him. And now he's a little baby and he's a servant. Let's look at the last few verses here. And praise team, y'all, y'all can go ahead and come on up. Verse 8 through 11 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. So that obedience to his father was something that was of great suffering. And if he hadn't died, if he said, no, you know, I'm just going to call my armies of the heavenly host and I'm not going to die right now. I don't, really, don't want to die. I'm, I'm not going to go there. And at that last moments of his life, he stayed obedient as a servant, obedient to the point of death. And that showed, okay, he really is human. There was this incredible uh, form that he had of, of God, so he is fully God. But he chose to take on this tent and for 33 years uh, come on as this uh, as fully man. And so this perfect union of God and man happened for 33 years. It did affect him eternally. He has a glorified body that has resemblance of his earthly body. Uh, and, and we read about that in the book of Revelation. But he humbled himself, the first sacrifice. And that humility and that obedience pleased his father. That that's why God exalted him. Bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That name of Jesus where every knee will bow. And in those are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So through his, his obedience and humility, he was exalted again. And it's much better for those listening online, those who are here today, to say Jesus is Lord willingly from your heart as choosing him on this side of eternity to say I say yes I humble myself under the name of Jesus Christ I recognize you Jesus as Lord of my life because if you think you'll have so much human strength that in the afterlife you'll get to say no I've chose not to believe I chose not to serve God no it's going to happen every will confess that Jesus is Lord there will not be any exceptions there won't be some uh, powerful billionaire there won't be some powerful uh, emperor there won't be a powerful um, uh, you know uh, someone with a lot of um, power with through guns and evil there's not going to be any power that's going to be able to exalt itself above the name of Jesus Christ. And so I invite you here, I invite you online 
that if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your heart and life, if you just have a knowledge about him in your head, but not have placed him as the Lord and ruler of your heart, this is a good day to say, I choose to to submit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a prayer out loud. I'm going to ask everyone to join me. And if you say this prayer from your heart, then you are making him Lord of your life. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me and washing me clean by your blood. I want you Lord of every area of my life. I believe you died for me and rose for me. I say yes to your lordship. I want to be your child forever. If you said that prayer from your heart, then please share that with a friend today. Share that with me, uh, someone who is here available for prayer, like the altar ministry teams, for example. And I'm going to ask them to go ahead and come up and be ready for prayer. I'm going to ask you as we worship the Lord to think about a few things here in closing. One, over this time of miracle, of mystery, and even sacrifice that we remember Christ's sacrifice humility and to take home and have with your family and friends humility toward God and others. And then number two on the take home, teach and remind our children and, and others of this first sacrifice. That it really didn't start with Jesus in a manger. It started with him leaving a glorious heaven as the all-powerful, all, all the one with authority. And then number three, let's honor him with praise. I, I love Christmas songs. I've been playing them right before Thanksgiving. They get me in the Christmas spirit. They're so much fun to listen to. But sh- make sure you mix in times to honor and praise the Lord. do it right now and let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in response to this message. Give glory to the one who saved my 
blessing over you, a prayer over you. also want to mention that uh, to be praying about what the Lord have you do during the January 8th to 29th three-week fasting and praying. I know for me, I, I get kind of mentally prepared in advance. I need to ask God in advance, what does He want me to do? What type of fast and what ways? And so that when the 8th comes, I'm ready. I'm ready to jump into it. And I encourage you to do that because Living Waters is a deep well. But I believe in those three weeks, there's going to be some more digging. There's going to be some opening of the wells in our hearts and lives that is going to be powerful, that we're going to need this going forward in 2023 and what God has for us. And I hope to work in some teachings here about fasting and praying as we go along and get into early January. But I just want to encourage you to have that prayer as part of your kind of prayer list right now. God, what would you have me do during that three-week fast? Lord Jesus, thank you for your first sacrifice and your willingness to become like a man, fully God, fully man, and as a servant, even to the point of death. Lord, we receive the blessings of this sacrifice, and we say yes to you and yes to your lordship in our lives. Lord God, with that, we pray we take this message with us, that it transform us, that we become more like you and humble ourselves before others and put others before us and look at them and their interests before our own interests. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that we share this message with children and others and remind them about the first sacrifice. And so, Lord God, we thank you that we go in your empowerment today into this week to shine the true message of Christmas that you are the reason for the season. Amen. Have a great week. We have people here available to pray for you. We've got people online, a phone call number that you can call to get prayer for this morning for 30 minutes. And we are here for you. Have a great week. Love y'all.